Welcome back. Welcome in. Let's begin another week at Country Financial. Earsports.com, Monday morning. Chris Anderson, time for the Q&A mailbag that we're going to handle very carefully today. <laughs> very, very carefully. I think every time we... Uh, it's been the last couple of weeks where we we've been answering questions and talking on a Monday morning and, and we are either prepared or not prepared for some news that might be coming a couple hours after we finish. Um, and this week is no different. Yeah. If you look on a WVU calendar and you look at January 25th, I think everybody who patronizes our website, they understand that today is obviously an important day because it's a big Monday basketball game at home against Texas Tech. No <laughs> significance to this date at all. That is exactly what was on my mind was, man, I'm going to be tired tonight because I'm going to be up late. That's the only thing I was thinking about. Yeah, Just nothing else late. happens on this day. Nothing at all. Yes. Saturday impressions for you. Um, I think kind of in a, in a thousand yard above view they finally got a break because kansas state was on the schedule <laughs> and they probably lose to i would say maybe i mean i'm not saying every other team but like they they could have very easily lost to any other team not named kansas oh, Iowa State. i i am saying they would have lost to every other team on okay. Saturday. I, I didn't think they were bad but it was you know oh hey everybody the, the announcers and a lot of people oh you would never know which team was off for two weeks We're like no i can very much tell that west virginia was off for two weeks they look exhausted um they look rusty but kansas state is just bad like really bad um that was that was not a good game for kansas state a lot of those turnovers in the first half i know bob Huggins gave a lot of credit to the defense some I give a lot of credit to Kansas State for not being able to do the most basic things of basketball and, and handing the ball directly to WVU. I mean, I, I'm not saying I didn't see good things from West Virginia, but it was uh, pretty glaringly obvious that a couple of those guys were legitimately sick and and, and not conditioned, uh, hadn't been able to run around, hadn't been able to kind of stay in shape and, and, and looked rough out there. And, hey, when you can win by as much as they did, and look pretty bad, pretty rusty, that's pretty great. But like you said, I think this was a blessing that it was Kansas State in that comeback game ahead of something else, some other team. I'm always kind of interested in what the other coach says. I can speak the language that Huggins speaks, and I could fill in for him on a post-game news conference, I think, <laughs> at this point. And I've sat through hundreds and hundreds of these. So I'm pretty sure I could pull it off. Yeah, I think you could mute me with the best of them. You're pretty good at that. I was going to say, I can definitely ignore your question or even <laughs> a two-word answer. But um, the other coaches, what they say is always interesting. And uh, the stuff that Weber said after the game was probably optimistic because there's, there's like two different West Virginias that you study. There's the one from the prior three games. There's one from the, I guess it would have been 10 games before that. So pre Shibway, post Shibway. Um, or pre Sheboy exit, post Sheboy exit. Um, and, and what he said was that they were prepared for, you know, some traditional West Virginia tendencies, not press Virginia, but you know, you're going to get, you know, deny, deny, deny. You're going to get the passing lanes. You're going to get the the way that they kind of make it difficult for you to run anything because they ball press you so much. And he said, I wasn't ready for that, meaning that he set the bar pretty high and West Virginia was above it. I agree. They were. The, the the folks in purple were really sloppy and you could tell they didn't have their point guard and that that's not a very inspired team. They look like they've lost six in a row and they're probably ready to lose six more in a row. One of those squads that kind of understands their fate and 
once they get down, they're not coming back. Um, but does Weber have a point in some things that at least we saw some good habits? Because I did see them deny as much as they could, and they were not going to let Kansas State get into offense. They were going to basically make it turn into ball screen jump shot, which is kind of what happened. But that's not something that West Virginia had done, and they didn't really give up a lot of drives until late in the game, too. So if we if we peek through the 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 brush here, do we see something good out of that? Yeah, I agree with you about the effort. I think the effort was there. That and and there have been times this year with the defense where it's just like, what it what exactly are you doing right there? Because that doesn't make any sense. And 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 Saturday was a lot better in that regard. I am also slightly encouraged by the play of Seni Injai. I mean, not that he was great, but like he looked like he could be a body that can give Culver eight minutes in a game. You know, I, I, again, I'm not expecting a bunch. He's he's young. He's inexperienced. He needs to get stronger, but he needs to not pull a, a Grayson Allen or whatever his name is from Duke and trip people while he's walking back to the bench. That was not cool. But um, he looked he looked a little bit more like like he belonged on Saturday than he had in his previous uh, previous fleeting appearances. So I, I think that's good because that was. That was probably my biggest concern for this team. I feel like they they have the guards, they have the wings that they can kind of rotate and figure something out, but the big depth is just not there. Uh, again, we've talked about it a thousand times. Once Oscar left, that that's a hit, obviously, but I think they would have been just fine with Oscar gone if Cottrell was healthy. But then Cottrell's hurt and done for the year, so now you're really struggling to find somebody down there, and, and Injai looked like he could at least step out there for a few minutes. I'm looking at my stats here. Um, this is unofficial. He averaged 17 screens per possession. <laughs> That's all you really needed to do. Just go screen and grab rebounds. Just it, don't well, do anything else. There's some value in that for a team that often gets a big guy stuck in the perimeter and then the ball gets trapped and they have to throw it to the corner and throw up a three late in the possession or it just bogs down because that big stands there when he screens. There's value in a guy who screen, cut, reset, screen, cut, reset. I mean, he scored off it. I get that, but... There was motion and a motion offense. Call me crazy. That seems like a good thing. <laughs> That's a welcome change. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. Again, I don't know. I don't know how many minutes he can give you. It looked like he got tired. Um, he doesn't really go after the ball so much yet because he's probably used to it coming to him because he was taller than everybody. So there's some things you can work on. His condition will get there. But it does feel like that there's something there that they probably wouldn't have needed before. Now they know they need. They can get it. And fortuitously for them, he was one of the five guys that they actually had available. So – we know this now. Um, Huggins said that they only have five players, and it was really just four. So that means six players tested positive or were victims of contact tracing. Uh, you can use your eyeballs probably figure some of those things out there. Who was who, at least. Um, but Anjai, Kedrian Johnson, Gabe Osaboyan, Jordan McCabe, and Deuce McBride were the only five who were available to actually physically practice. And they gave McBride some time off. Huggins said that afterwards, too. He's just worn down a little bit. And what are we doing? We're going to practice him with four, against four teammates for a week? No, give him some time off. So he looked a little bit refreshed. Probably not a coincidence that NJ got some time on the floor and got into the, the game. So that's good. So I think we're talking about some things that maybe they could do during that time off to get themselves ahead of where they could be if they just stood still for two weeks. And if they got NJ some confidence and you saw a little bit of that, that's good. And they, one thing they did say they worked on a lot through meetings, through film, through the actual on-the-court practices, was defense. So 
if you're worried that they weren't going to use those 13 days between games to their benefit, we have some answers. That's good, I think. Um, do you think it's good or bad they turn around and they play Saturday? Is it a tough recovery? Um, is it better to get another one in and then take some time off because maybe their legs are okay right now? They kind of got them broken back in. They're not quite rubber. Mm-hmm. They can play fast uh, or have a fast turnaround, play a good team that's – forget the matchup, but do you, do you like or not like having a game tonight? Would you rather have one tomorrow or Wednesday? Yeah, I think it'd be better on Tuesday just because of the, the flight back and getting ready. And then, you know, the, yeah, like you said, it's a little tougher with Texas Tech rather than, say, I don't know, TCU or Iowa State. I think if you were playing, you know, if if you got to pick and choose your schedule at this point, I think you'd want to kind of slowly, gradually build up the competition. At this point, you'd rather have someone like Iowa State or TCU next up and have it on Tuesday to give yourself an extra day. But um, getting back out there, getting it home, I think that'll help. But yeah, I, I mean, they got they got to get their legs under them because they they were guys that you could very clearly tell had not been practicing and just were we're not feeling it, you know, going, not able to do their usual 25, 30 minutes. Although uh, I, I noticed it in the first half, you know, when they were making all the rotations, I was like, yeah, they're definitely trying to keep guys fresh. Everybody's having a rough time. And then I said, except for McBride, because yeah. he played 18 minutes and 58 seconds, I think of the first half and ended up playing 37 of the 40 minutes in the game over 37 minutes. Um, so uh, no real rest, you know, maybe he got the last 10 days off, but, uh, sure didn't look like it uh, on Saturday. They got to get Emmett Matthews into a car and then to a McDonald's, <laughs> leave a Benjamin on the table and tell him not to leave until it's gone. Yeah. He's got to get some big Max and fries in him because he looked, he, he looked, I mean, he looked different. That's all I can say. He did not look like himself there. He looked Tired quick. It looked like he looked light thin to me too. I felt like, oh my gosh, this poor guy. Yeah, he didn't start, didn't play very long, didn't like seem like he had that punch that he usually has. Uh he's not the most productive player as far as like the stats go, but he's typically bouncing around and running and, and working himself into plays and situations. And it just seemed like he couldn't access that level. Um the other guy on the bench was McNeil. And I, I just think that they gotta figure him out. He's gotta figure himself out. I'm not sure those are the same situations, but uh, let me ask you this. I'm not sure that Matthews is a bench guy. I think he could be because I don't think he's much different from one game to the next. He's pretty much been this type of player for two and a half years now. <clears throat> McNeil, I don't know. I don't know what they have with him. It just looks like he's really struggling right now. I didn't like the situation where he passed with like three seconds in the shot clock and McCabe had to throw up a 25-footer. Yep. And on that charge, too, I know he's not a guy who dribbles, drives, and scores, but I don't think he wanted that ball because he knew he wasn't going to be in a good spot and didn't have a way out, and he just barreled into that guy. That just looks like a confidence thing where if he doesn't have it early, he might not have it. So I'm not sure it's a guy you want coming off the bench. Sherman's pretty productive, so I don't know what you do there. McCabe starting is really interesting because I think their first nine baskets had six assists. He didn't do all of that, but when he's in the when he's in the floor, he's not looking for his shots, and that means McBride doesn't have to worry about passing it to McBride. I guess you know it's going to end up with McBride taking shots, and if someone else passes it to him, you're more likely to have that if McCabe is out there who might do it. But you just saw the ball move better when he was there. I don't have the numbers in front of it because I'm not going to write it for today, but I think like almost three quarters of their assists came when McCabe was in the game, which mm-hmm. means that he's part of a lineup that moves the ball. There's something cool about playing him with Sherman and McBride because that means. Those two guys are going to get their shots, and it's not going to be diluted by another guard like McNeil. 
But I wonder, like, if they're going to actually commit to that, whether starting or in reserve. But they probably looked like he had a fun time playing with McCabe. I know he wanted to play with them last year, and they actually did that a little bit, and it was it was okay. But are we just on another peak before the valley on the McBride, excuse me, McCabe roller coaster, or is this maybe his time to finally open eyes and play the way that he's conditioned to play, the way that he knows how to play? That's what I was about to ask you because I think. You know, he we've seen him in every single game, I believe, but he's he had a two a couple games with like two minutes, four minutes, six minutes. This 23 minutes was the most of the season uh, and by a pretty good margin. Yeah, 15 against VCU was the next highest. And I'm with you. I think we all are in agreement here that McBride might be best as like the second ball handler as an off guard, um, somebody who can bring it up. But it'd be nicer if he had someone that was distributing it more as a point guard and McCabe can be that guy. It's just, it's more of a question of can Huggins deal with the other stuff that comes with McCabe because there was a stretch. It was the first half where I think he hit a three, he got an assist, he got a steal. And then the next time down the court, he tried to throw a pass one handed got picked off. And then the next time down the court, it was early in the shot clock. He dribbled to his right, and he his body was his he jumped in the air, and his body was still going to the right, but he was also leaning back. So he's leaning <laughs> back and to the right and shooting a contested jumper from just inside the three-point line. So it's only worth two with like 18 seconds left on the shot clock. I thought Huggins was going to stroke out right there. Like yeah. he lost it and timeout right after that ripped into McCabe and then a subs in the game. And it's hard to fault him for that. Cause that was just a terrible shot, but it, it, it I don't think you can shake that from McCabe because when he's feeling it, I think he thinks, you know, he, he's going to play like he is like he is Kobe or MJ, like he's going to keep going. And so I think you have to be prepared for, you have to be prepared for some heat checks when maybe it's a little early for a heat check because he finished one of five from the floor. So you know, it's not like he was four of, you know, he wasn't pulling a Sean McNeil and five of five and hoisting it up from 40 feet just to see. Um, So it, it, I don't know if Huggins can deal with that and I don't know if I can blame him, but there are some positives to having McCabe out there. Yep, I think that's the one thing that's kind of consistent with his career. He'll give you three, four, five good plays, good possessions in a row, but he never gets out of the game without that forehead slap moment. Right. That's kind of interesting to me that it was it happened again. You're looking for that avoidance. Can he just not make that play? The only thing I can think of is that he's made that shot 100 times in practice. Right. <laughs> sure why he's taking it 100 times. I'm not sure if there's anybody in the gym, but that looked like something he just went to because it was like a instinct too. Uh, one more, and then we can get to the questions. Have you seen a worse pass than Culver's two-handed overhead lob <laughs> off the other side of the backboard? <laughs> it's it's been a while. I've seen some bad passes with this team over the last few years, but that was uh, I was up there. That was up there. I don't know if that was a mechanical error, a mental error, or what. But like, I'm not exaggerating. He brought that ball back behind his head with two hands and whipped it off the backboard to Sherman, who was on the ground. I think it was bizarre i don't understand that at all i had to watch it five times because i couldn't stop laughing but like i'm still having a good time with it but i was just saying like culver's a good passer why doesn't he play in the high post and wham he spikes one off the glass i couldn't believe it uh very very little touch on that one that's for sure 
need some nuance. All right, let's get into the questions here. As always, uh, subscriber questions. We'll answer as many as we feel comfortable answering, and then Chris will swing through and clean up with uh, a written version with um, many more. Some of these, some others. But um, let's cut the ribbon and go here. What do you say? Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's 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 stick with the the same track that we're on. Then this one from WVU Pride Twenty One. Um, after seeing what you saw this week, what are your expectations for the rest of the season and in the tournament for this basketball team? How much have they changed since the beginning of the season? Well, nothing good came out of Saturday for me to make me think that they're better than they were before they got into that. I think that they're gonna. There, there's different schedules you got to get through now. And if they win tonight, if they lose tonight, that's one. Then you have a couple of games, uh, Florida, I want to say Iowa State, I don't have it in front of me. And that's like another part of the schedule. And then they just get into that that brutal five games, 11 days, and that's another part. If they can navigate this, this first two parts here and get themselves up to be competitive and have an idea who they are and what they can do for those five games in 11 days, I'm not so much worried about like a two and three or a one and four in those five games, because that's just going to be hard. So I think if they can get their house in order now, you'll have a better idea of who they're going to be. Saturday didn't help me at all figure out what they're going to be, because they're just they're just different. Like, I don't think they're going to bring Matthews off the bench. I'm not sure they're going to bring McNeil off the bench. So I think those guys will probably float back in the starting lineup. Less confident about McNeil. Uh, I like the defense. I like the fact that maybe they have a guy that can give Culver a break, and maybe they have a guy who doesn't mean you have to put so much on Osaboyan to play the five, which I'm not sure he's great at or comfortable doing. So that's good. It, I think it's just too early for that. I still think it's a team that could get hot and make like 12 or 14 threes and outscore a team, but I'm pretty sure it's also a team that could shoot 36% and lose like 71 to 61. I Yeah, I'm with you. Saturday doesn't change much for me. Like I said, I think uh, you know if my biggest takeaway is Senny Njai is a warm body that can give you eight minutes, that's, I mean... That's great, I guess, but that's not going to change my projection for how this team's going to go the rest of the year. And um, it's it's a team that's probably going to finish fourth in the Big 12, maybe fifth in the Big 12. It's going to get into the tournament. It's probably going to be like a five seed. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, this, this schedule, it, it just gets brutal here soon. So it's you're having a hard time finding a bunch of wins here to add to this resume, although the resume already looks pretty darn good. So I think, you know, it, it it's going to be a team that's going to get into the tournament comfortably, but it's got the potential for who knows what once they get there because of the way this team is set up, because of the, the, the style they're going to play. 
you know, we've seen the swings in game where they'll fall behind by 20 and then come back and win, um, fall behind by 20, come back, tie it, and then just fall apart again. So I think this is a team that'll be able to beat kind of anybody once they get to the tournament, but they could also lose to anybody. So it, it, I have no idea what will happen once they get there. Could be one and done. Could be Sweet 16 Elite Eight. Who, who the heck knows? Um, switching to football. It's kind of a combo question here. I'm going to combine two from one from M Burns 40 and one from Big Cruncher. Um, kind of questions on one about are there going to be spring camps in the spring and summer for recruiting, I'm assuming, and then also uh, spring football this year. Mike, what have you heard about e- either one of those? I'm not sure about the the camp and the recruiting season. I know they have the moratorium through it's through April, correct? Yeah, mid April. So not they have camps then, but like that's probably like the start the time they'll start thinking about it. I would think they probably just start thinking about it soon. You can't put together camps on May first if we're going to have them in June. So that's not great. Yeah, um, no. Usually they if February or so is when they start when they set the dates in a normal year. Uh, they set the dates in February, so that that the individual schools. But yeah, again, this year you're gonna have to wait on NCAA and Big Twelve decisions. So I have no reason to believe they won't have spring football. I mean, they they had football in the fall. I think right. they'll have spring football. I don't think everything is so bad right now that you're not gonna do it. Um, the I mean, look, the numbers and the conditions aren't great. That's West Virginia basketball, but they're also letting fans into the Coliseum now. You're starting to see some numbers crest and plateau, and like now you're just thinking, okay let's see the numbers drop. And I think even if they just stay the same and they drop a little bit or they rise maybe slightly, but not significantly, there's no cause for alarm. I think they can probably regulate everything and have uh, spring football, no media coaches are lying. If they tell you that bums them out. I know that Neil Brown had that wonderful, uh, our players miss you at practice because they, they feel the juice. They think it's great. <laughs> Uh, nope. <laughs> Coaches don't want media at that spring practice. Maybe just to watch them stretch and kick field goals, or whatever. But um, especially with so much going on with depth chart stuff and and playing time and position battles, um, they would love to not have to worry about that because they're going to do some experimentation, I'm sure, because they have positions of strength and they have positions where they got to figure out one or two people out of a group of three or four candidates, and that might mean moving some people around. And you can do that in the spring. And if you can do that out of the watchful eye of the media, I'm sure they'll do that. So. I think they'll have it. I think it'll be pretty sterile. I think it'll be pretty much out of view, and I think it'll be on Zoom again. But I can't. I haven't heard anything about them not having it. I can't see a reason why not to have it either. I'm with you. I, like the way everything's going for all the reasons you just said. Like, how can you have a season and have winter workouts and have basketball and be letting fans in and have school in person, and then say we're not going to have practice um, again? I think it's going to be limited. I think they'll be taking all the precautions. I think media will be limited and. And, and all that. So I'm fully expecting that there'll be spring football this year. And then um, as for recruiting camps, it's, it's a tough spot for a lot of people because it's terrible to, for these recruits because these, the, the, these camps, you know, they didn't have them last year. These camps are when these kids earn offers. It's when they earn, like meet the coaches, learn how they coach. It's when they get offers. So many of these, so many of the players that end up in West Virginia's class, got their offer or camped at at WVU recruiting camps in the summer. And for these kids to not be able to do that for multiple years in a row, it's going to be a lot of kids that would have otherwise gotten scholarships or gotten a look because it's not, again, it's not just West Virginia coaches that are there. There are a lot of smaller schools that come and help out with the camps 
and they also do the recruiting. They also extend offers. So it's not just, you know, four-star, high three-star, four-star kids that are getting offers from West Virginia at these camps. It's also kids that you probably never have even heard of mm-hmm. that are getting full scholarship rides to, you know, a, an FCS program or a small D1 program or a D2 program. So those kids are kind of getting screwed with this as well. And then on the other side, man, if they have it, you're going to have to have 56,000 waivers. Uh, you know, they already have waivers that, hey, you come here to this camp, you get hurt, you can't sue us. Now it's going to be, you need to have a waiver. We need to have temperature checks. We're gonna, you're going to have to get a COVID test before you show up. Um, I'm assuming all this, but then again, what's that's, we're talking six, five months from now. So mm-hmm. who knows what might change? And then we've seen how much everything has changed every every few months. So it might be a lot different, but I think there, there's a lot of trying to cover your own butts here from the NCAA and schools, and it's going to make it tough for them to kind of hold these because, you know, at these events, Mike, hey, Mike, you're you're a recruiting expert. Now you got your badge a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and it it's a couple hundred kids all crammed over there you know, sticking together, sitting together, going places. I know they, they spread them out a little more than they used to, but it's still a lot of people in one spot for them to, you know, give it the, give it the okay. Yeah. Like that different sites they can use, but they can put people inside the indoor. They can put people on the practice facility. They can put people on the field. Um, and they kind of do that as it is. Cause it's, it's positional. You'll see like offensive linemen on one field and you'll see skill position guys on another, and you'll see the specialists up at the, where there's actual field goal posts. So you can do some of that. It's kind of built in already, but even then everybody clusters and everybody's behind the line or everybody's, you know, in line to run a 40 or everybody's in like a, um, a five person file of lines because they're going to step in and do drills for the offensive line. It's, it's really hard to regulate beyond what they already do. Um, it's just it's just a crowded event by nature. Everybody's around to watch somebody run a forty, somebody do a one on one defensive back drill. Hey, gonna move them apart? Oh, they're all gonna be temperature checked and screened and tested when they come in. Maybe, but that's gonna be largely a, a blind faith in the schools or the coaches that bring them there too. Um, but I don't know. That's that's a logistical piece that I haven't considered. And I know they've tried to wrap their heads around because they want to be ready to go if they do get the green light. I'd be very curious to see how they do it because they've, they've been pretty good with their their logistics and their strategical stuff for, you know, what they did over the summer, moving the weight room outside and having groups of seven in at a time and making sure everything was spread out. That took some commitment and some plan. They carried that through. I'd be curious to see how they actually structure the camp stuff. So for that alone, I hope they get to do it. I just like to sit back and say, all right, how'd they do this? Cause I'm sure it's probably going to be pretty impressive. And, and this, uh, there's another question here and I'm sorry, I haven't, I don't see it right this second, but it, it's related to this and it's about like what the schedule is going to be. Cause in a typical year, during this upcoming time, around March and through the end of April, is a time for um, in-person evaluation. So college coaches are heading out to high schools around the country to see kids in person. Mm-hmm. And then kids can also come and visit for junior days unofficially. And they'll come up and watch spring practices or whatever, come to the spring game. And then May is a complete dead period. And then June, you get into June and July and that's when you get into the recruiting camps. But with the dead period now set all the way through mid-April, I have to wonder if they're going to change May because May was already a dead period. So maybe May becomes a live period. And maybe they change the camping scene because when they hold these camps and people have always asked, us, how do they have these special camps for the, you know, the top recruits at night? Because technically 
on designated camp days, you have a 24-hour window where you can, quote-unquote, work out kids. So mm-hmm. technically, a school can have you know, a lot of high schoolers in to camp at you know, noon, be done at 3, and then you bring in a handful of elite recruits at night and work them out. And that's completely and totally legal. And I think if, if they have that window, you know, maybe you're not able to, you know, maybe you're still doing that with the elite recruits, but you can also split up your camping. I mean, it's going to be tough for the coaches and the GAs and everybody that has to work these things because it's not easy. It's a long day, but you can split those up and make them smaller groups or the NCAA can give them more days to have these recruiting camps. I believe there's a restriction on how many camps you can have, but um, if you can spread that out, maybe have like two in one day so that your numbers are, you know, 50 kids instead of a hundred uh, at, at one time, who knows? I, I'm, I will see where it goes from here, but I think there's time. Again, I said, you know, here in a couple of weeks is usually when they set the dates for these recruiting camps. And I'm sure they'll pencil in some dates. The schools will, but they won't get a final answer until, you know, the NCAA makes some decisions probably in March. Well, similarly, think about, since we're on the schedule here, think about the schedule for spring football. It's usually like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Sometimes it's interrupted by spring break. Um, Mm -hmm. They spread it out over five, sometimes six weeks. If you're testing three times a week for football games, three times a week for basketball games, like how are you going to do that? Are you still going to test before every day of spring practice? Probably going to have to do something like that. I I mean, are they in season, in competition season? Because that's a different thing than – Right now they're in their off season, and um, legislatively there's different rules for, for for how you govern yourself. I would imagine they probably have to stick it probably pretty close to what they did to get to the fall. They're going to get to the spring, but what happens when kids go away for spring break? Like, I don't know the schedule yet, but typically the spring break interrupts our spring football. Are they going to go? I don't know Punta Cana, Daytona Beach, Myrtle Beach, whatever, and come back. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to be allowed to do that. So they're just going to practice through spring break. It's a lot of stuff they're going to have to figure out. Like, I don't know what you do with that pause. Do you, do you cram it into four weeks if it's, your, if it's in your fifth week of practice instead of six? Do you back it up so you're not interrupted? Do you try to get in before spring break? I have to sit down and look at that too. But just, just talking here, listening to you, here we go again. They have to figure out all these scheduling things. <laughs> I think they're out of it. They're, they're right back in the middle of it again with um, new frustrations for familiar issues. All right, let's have let's have a little fun with some some more lighthearted questions here. Um, let's start with this one. With all the speculation about a certain recruit that we're not going to mention on this podcast, what's the funniest and or m- most ridiculous quote unquote scoop DM private message whatever you've ever received, Mike? That's from Earman Eleven. You got any? You got any good stuff that that that's slid into your inbox that was just utterly ridiculous <laughs> like true or false <laughs> i i don't know which way to, i you know something popped in my mind uh, for my own personal one and it was it was false but um i don't know i think it'd be good if it was also true like just something crazy that somebody randomly sent you i mean hmm i i, I don't want to out some things because i've had like i've had like I don't know, how can I do this? But like <laughs> the, the the funny thing to me is and why I'm laughing so hard is because you know, usually you and I discuss these things. When we get tips, we discuss these things and then we, you know, we vet it out, try to find out the truth, figure out what's going on. So I like all as soon as I saw that question, 
about 50,000 texts and DMs and phone calls between the two of us just ran through my mind for just all sorts of wild stuff for the last couple of years. Like just the ridiculous is the best part. I'm just trying to, I mean, there's been so many, I don't want to like, cause there's some things, some people that I just like, that's not going to happen, but it, it probably seems silly to me, but not to anybody else. Um, I'll tell you what was, what was cool is like, I got a photo of Will Greer walking into the push car center the day that he visited. Right. And we were due there that day. And everybody was talking about where's Greer going to go? Where's Greer going to go? And no, it, it, there, it wasn't West Virginia. Like, I mean, he spent a lot of time here and we kind of think of him as West Virginia's quarterback for a while, but like he was kind of persona non grata. He was a cheater when he left Florida. Like I'm not sure college football had a spot for him and people were like, eh, but nobody here thought he was coming here. And I mean, really out of the blue, Chris, like just, Hey, check on Will Greer um, visiting today. I'm like, get out of here. Right. And then no, really. And it was a shot of him walking into the push guard center. And we were due there that day for spring football. And I found somebody and I said, Hey, um, let me ask you a crazy question. And like Greer walked down the hallway <laughs> and had like, uh, um, I forget his high school Davidson day. Right. I think he had yeah. something like maybe like a backpack or a tag in his backpack. And it said Will Greer. And I was like, Holy crap. <laughs> so that went from like absurd to real. Um, and then the other ones that I remember too were like Elijah Macon was that poor kid was in and out like three or four times. And like, there was a series of times that like he was, he was having to like contact us and say, no, I can't make it this semester or yes. And then later on, yes, I will be here this semester. And I remember him being pretty, pretty open and, and honest about it and like taking phone calls from people. He didn't even know like me. Mm about stuff because he was remember he was connected for i think three recruiting classes maybe right yeah um reclassified did he reclassify he did all right and he then was, he, was, he was at three you know he was at a high school and then another high school and then went up to uh brewster academy yeah so just that was and i remember talking to him and just being like i can't believe i'm on the phone with this guys this is like the the kaiser so because we can never get him uh, pinned down or whatever then he started like handling things uh, right on but um I, I would say this too the i had to check my dms on twitter a bunch just to see the ones that I don't approve. Like I have to go to that secondary <clears throat> folder to yes. be able to get them. I get a ton of like rumors and um, here's my huddle. I have an offer from West Virginia. Bob Huggins is at my house today. And I'm like, well, he wasn't at your house. <laughs> He's been at anybody's house for like nine months now. Right. Yeah. So, so th those are always funny too. Um, and then coaches, coaches know how to be really shady. Like you can't FOIA anybody's, dms and their tweets so they will mm -hmm. sometimes dish about players and um other teams other coaches other schemes things like that and i actually here's another one too the uh the screen share that we did i had a college offensive line coach um ask me how i was doing it because he wanted to use the go army edge footage and then the other college coach that i know you know every now and then just randomly texts me and wants to know what's going on with west virginia <laughs> and i thought it was fake for the longest time i remember he during the uh what was the game this year he wanted to know what, what Brown was doing at the end of the first half on the yeah. like a punt, not punt. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's watching too. I wonder if he's listening to the podcast. Shout uh -huh. out. Um, they they can access you more than ever before. But I, man, I'm just I'm just thinking now. There's so many of these good ones that are coming to my head. I don't want to take up all the time here. Do you have good ones? Uh, I don't know. The first one that came to my mind was it was early in when I started doing this, very early, <clears throat> and I was at. I was in Morgantown covering a recruiting camp, and I still remember, I guess it didn't technically, um, it wasn't a scoop that slid, it, it led to a scoop, but you, you mentioned that the coaches know that they can't get their DMs and stuff foyed. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so that's a lot of, of ways of contacting people. And I got a, a message one day. I was sitting at um, Kegler's after covering a camp all day. And it was his assistant coach. And it was just in my DMs. And I looked up and it was like, is that you over there not eating real wings at the bar? I said, not eating real wings. Because uh, <clears throat> for those who don't know, I'm a, a, a boneless connoisseur, yeah. if you will. And uh, it's like, what? And I look around, and there is the coach sitting right there. Came over, talked, built a great relationship with him. So that was pretty cool. And then, um, but the other one, the first one that came to my mind was, it was a few years ago, and somebody was messaging me about a quarterback recruit, big-time quarterback recruit, adamant, absolutely adamant that he was going to West Virginia. And all my intel said that West Virginia wasn't even a contender. And this person would message me on, on, on the website, on Twitter. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. It's, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. It's happening. Happening to the point. And I was just like, it's not, it's not happening. Like the West Virginia is even a contender. And, to, and, and then that infuriated this person. Like they got angry with me that I wouldn't report their scoop unsourced unvetted and you know i was hearing the exact opposite and then you know i don't think that person i don't even know if that person's a member of our site anymore uh but hasn't been around in a long time and uh, needless to say that big time recruit did not come to west virginia did not have them in their final seven i don't think Hmm. um but yeah the uh the secondary folder on the uh, twitter dms uh for those yeah like you said you you keep your DMS open, but if we're not following the person, I, I, it, it frustrates me because I don't get a notification. So I have to manually go and check that secondary folder for DM requests or whatever. And, and you'll find all sorts of stuff in there. And I, I'll get stuff on private message on the website too, uh, through the, the website's messaging system. And I mean, like, like we've said before, uh, when we, we've been doing stories and on this podcast, uh, inbox is always open and, and there are people who take advantage of that I'm trying to think of a few more here now too uh i'll just say cross lanes that seemed like it was too good to be true and that came on a tip that i ended up ended up being pretty pretty wild story there too um and then if you remember many years ago there was um i forget the guy's name now i don't want to say his name because i might impugn him but there was one of holgerson's guys came from another school and was like this weird Oz figure. He was just around stuff, and he was in academics and athletic training and uh, student affairs or whatever and player relations, and then he just disappeared. And what I had heard was that everybody just couldn't stand the guy, and he mouthed off at um, a party in New York City about the lawyer who had represented Bill Stewart, who happened to be like the the head or the the number two at the higher education policy committee in West Virginia, which is a big deal. Um, and he's just trashing this guy. And it turned out that this lawyer's stepson was <laughs> at the table and just kind of like did the Homer Simpson into the bushes and went and told dad. And like two days later, that guy was gone. But so many people were like, listen, this, this head coach out of control, all of his people are out of control. You know, you got to figure this out. I'm like, this can't possibly be true. Who this this guy doesn't have the leverage. This guy doesn't have the the gravitas to act like this and mouth off like this. And he did. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> that led to cross lanes as well. And then many many years ago, if you remember, they had um they were getting the buyout money from Rich Rodriguez, and nobody knew what was going on with that money. Was it being used at all? 
I, I'm not sure what that what the concern was, but people were saying they're not using this money. They're not using this money. And I talked to the number two athletic director at the time, and he said, "No, it's just going into an account." And then within days, I worked at the Daily Mail at the time. Within days, somebody had sent to my office, which got sent to me in Morgantown, um, paperwork that just said, "That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie." And it was basically documents that showed. They were taking the money that was from the Rodriguez buyout, and they were funding, I want to say, the practice facility for basketball. Um, some of that money was going there in the beeline, and then a trust was matching that money. So the trust said, if you put money from the buyouts from beeline and Rodriguez to the practice facility, then we will match that money. I think I had the details right there, but it's a story I wrote. It was published many, many years ago, and I went to have a fund of the building, and then ultimately who had control of the practice facility because the trust wanted to have control or at least some type of oversight of the facility. The school said absolutely no. Mike Garrison was kind of upside down about it, didn't know what he wanted to do. It was a conflict for him that I think even the interim president who followed him, Peter McGrath, he had to deal with too because it was a prolonged thing. I wrote about this many, many years ago, but it always struck me as, you know, here we are talking about DMs and, you know, very electronic, very 2020, yeah. 2021 ways. And then I just get an old fashioned mail dump with secret documents <laughs> that got sent to me and that had to be sent to me from another location, too. So um, one way or another, sometimes the information finds you when people want the truth to come out. I like it. I thought we were being lighthearted here and that got real serious about some serious journalism going on there for a bit. I mean, um, I can tell you, like. A reporter who had a um, who had a kid that played football um, was at it was at a practice one day and said, "Hey, um, don't tell me, don't tell anybody who told you this, but my kid just got an offer." And I was like, "Hey, guy, if I report that, everybody knows who's gonna, who's going to tell me that you got your kid got an offer." And and I did, and like all the coaches thought it was hilarious because they knew exactly what happened. Like, hey, we don't care. We talked to him; it was fine. But like stuff like that just kind of cracks me up every now and then too. Yeah. All right. Now let's really end on some lightheartedness that we'll take way too seriously. Um, which WVU, we'll start with this this way, and it goes both ways. Which WVU basketball player would have the biggest impact transferring to the football team? Uh, you know, uh, WV Blessed asked this question, mentioned McBride at quarterback. You know, that's been kind of hammered at home on uh, a lot of the television broadcasts lately. Culver at wide receiver. Uh, Gabe at defensive end. What, what are your thoughts? I like Kedrian Johnson in the slot. Mm-hmm. I just think that's one. kind of a twitchy guy there. Maybe he could be a corner too. Um, actually, this will give me another good a good question too. Um, anyways, to, to the previous question, I like those guys there. Um, Culver is a tight end or a defensive end, isn't he? Probably yeah, too big. I think too, end, but, too big for a wide receiver. Yeah, but tight end would be interesting there too. Um, I'm looking at. I'm just looking at the players and like, where would you put these guys? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So like, McCabe probably doesn't have a spot on football. McBride, sure. McNeil probably not. Taz Sherman, eh, a little cornerback. I could see that, right? Mm-hmm. Just see him running around covering guys, playing cover two, playing press man. Uh, Osa Boyne's an interesting one. I could, like. Why couldn't he be like a, a six foot nine linebacker in the middle? Or why couldn't he be like a defensive end that could tear around? Um, but yeah, talk about Senny though. Where would you put Senny? I don't know if he could. I don't know. I, you got me thinking about Gabe, and I'm thinking about that um, defensive end, um, Gross Motto, Yetter, Penn State, mm-hmm. uh, who was like 6'8 mm-hmm. and, and played defensive end and was great. So I could see that. I don't Sean know about Sean at Baylor, remember? Yeah. He was a monster. Well, on the field, well, off the field too, but he was 6'8. Right. Lee, right. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to think of what else. Um, 
I, I put Senny on the goal line fades or something like that too. I, I like the, um, I mean, obviously McBride is the quarterback is one because he did it and he was, you know, led his team to state championship game and all that stuff. But look at him as somebody that could play like cornerback or safety because, because of his yeah. cover skills, because his, his footwork and his athleticism, I think he'd be a pretty darn good cornerback. I think if he had stuck with football and wanted to play football, I think he would have gotten a lot of coaches being like, Hey, what do you think about defensive back? You know, don't have a whole lot of six foot, six foot one, I mean, uh, quarterbacks out there. What do you think about, you know, playing in the secondary? And I think, uh, he would have got a look. And I think he has the skill set to, to excel there. It's funny. We're thinking about, you know, a guy like Sherman is probably too small to play two guard or whatever, or too small to do this or that. He's probably too big for some NFL or some football. <laughs> like he couldn't play running back, right? I don't right. think. Um, Culver is obviously a big guy. I'm trying to think of that, but like is too big to play football, probably. And then you think, all right, well, um, Johnson, eh, he could be a slot. Maybe he could be like a running back, whatever. He's six three, not really slot oh. size, right? So yeah. I'm wondering about players who maybe aren't too big and even if they are tall are they swift enough that could do it and i come back to the fact that like your only candidates really would be like matthews and bridges and probably matthews over bridges i think he's more athletic bridges is pretty athletic too i guess but like could those guys play wide out wide receiver i couldn't see them playing defensive back or any other position on defense um and then yeah they're tall so you think tight end but they're they're 210 215 uh so probably not so probably have to be like a, a wide out guy but the truth is some guys are too tall or too big to play the other sport. Yep. Uh, and then the inverse uh, from 83-89 grad to finish us out here, which football player is contributing the most to the basketball team? Well, Dante was a good football basketball player. Oh, man, right? that's where I was going to. Yeah, that was the first thing that came to my mind. That was a good one. And then, you know, tall guys in the offensive line are typically good basketball players. Uh, McKivitz was a really good basketball player. Um, you can just go through the years and find guys that were good. So that's not too much of a reach there. So there's the obvious guys who have the experience and they've done it. Um, I, for some reason, I think that like defensive backs are always like safeties in particular, are always going to make good point guards and vice versa too. And you'll remember many years ago, like Bill Stewart kind of pined for Joe Missoula to play defensive back. Like he saw him play basketball and was like, get that guy on my team. He could play corner. He could run down and cover kicks. And Missoula was like, yeah, I'll do it. That sounds fun. Like he was interested. I don't think he really wanted to, but so that correlation is there. But uh, if I already stole your thunder, I don't want to do any more before I get into my names. Who do you think? Well, Dante Stills was definitely one. I know, I know he was an athlete and that, that played some basketball. Sean Martin, uh, I, I could see him, uh, you know, before he became an offensive lineman for West Virginia. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, because obviously the first the first place I go is offensive tackle playing basketball because of guys like Colton McKivitz, great basketball player. Um, Yanni Kajust was uh, yeah. a, a great basketball player as well. So you, you want to look that way. And <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I don't I don't see anybody on the offensive line right now that that fits that mold that that you know, was a great basketball player that had to bulk up to play offensive line. So I think I'm either going with um, Sean Martin or Dante Stills. Mm. All right. So then you're going off of like, who's done it, who's played it. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going size and who's done it, who's played it. Yeah. All right. So then was Reese Smith a basketball player? 
I don't think so. Huh. I don't There's know. A... I have to double check that. Always curious who can do that because it's they're different seasons, so guys can't actually do it. Uh, I, I would say that just looking, I'm looking at the roster now. I, I would think that like Bryce Wheaton probably could have been a good basketball player. Yeah. Like he has the body and yeah, the system to do that, um, and he could be like a guard, probably like a guard, not big enough to be a small forward. Again, that's strange. Um, Charles Finley is six four, two hundred five, probably in that range to do it. He could, um, he could be useful. TJ Banks, Michael Lockman, guys like that who are big and and athletic, they could probably be it. Um, then you get into some of your taller guys that are you know typical offensive linemen, like you know would would Jaquay Hubbard who's six five would. Um, uh, Mayo is a big kid, nimble. Uh, we saw Jordan White, big kid, maybe not nimble. So those are maybe I'm out on. Those are probably too obvious. But what about when you look at the bodies, um, like an Eddie Watkins, 6'4", 240. That's something you can work with there. You can see him running around setting screens, being a small forward for you. Devil Washington, big athletic kid, what, 6'4", what's he, 210? Yeah, something and like you that. You saw him, like he's he's not not swift, but he's certainly athletic. He's a big kid who can move around. Um so yeah, some of those bigger receivers could possibly be like twos or threes, or maybe threes in the in the college scene. I'm not sure they have it right now, but you can maybe work with it there too. Not bad. I I, I hadn't thought about the Bryce Ford Wheaton thing, but I think that that'd be a really good one because he strikes me as somebody that, assuming he can dribble and shoot, he strikes me as somebody that has like the long strides and the the jumping ability to kind of move around and really play on that wing, like you're talking about. So that that'd be a good one too. About Mesador and Jordan Jefferson, those are two big guys who are really athletic. Yeah, Mesador. I think that was one that that in the question that was asked, I forgot to mention it. He he asked about Mesador as a possibility, and and we saw how athletic he was and how he you know he kind of transitioned from linebacker to defensive line and also played tight end. So uh, he he's apparently got it, whatever it is, and is capable of doing it. So, oh, uh, Sam Brown played for his high school too in Savannah. There we go. I actually saw his highlights in basketball. He had a huddle for basketball too. I think I'm looking at the guys now. So another, another receiver who, again, you have to have a certain skill set to be a skill position player in college football. I think there's some of that correlation to basketball too. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think that's going to wrap us up for the podcast portion of this mailbag because I, I again I will touch on even some of the stuff we discussed here, and I'll answer some of the other ones as well, all the other ones as well in written form. It'll be up later this afternoon, so you can. You can read that before you check out tonight's basketball game against Texas Tech. Do it. All right. Well, until next time, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.